Blog Talk Radio. everybody i'm back it's your host dr Faye. sorry about the brief hiatus from the show i've been busy working on some things outside of the show but this new edition of cuffing season i'm super super excited about it uh we have a great guest great lineup coming throughout the entire season so i'm super excited about that my usual guest uh co-host she's uh been a bit busy this month so she'll she will return with us in january but until such time i'll be flowing um, or actually having the show running solo this time. So, but thank you all for listening. Once again, that number is 323-642-1753. If you want to call up and join the conversation, should be nice and spicy tonight. We're talking about relationships. So without further ado, let me get my guest on the show, Miss Jamie Williams. Let me bring her on. Hello. Good evening. Yes, I'm here. Good. How's it going? Going great. How about you? Good, good. Life's just been a bit busy, but I'm so excited for you to come on to the show. I know it's a little bit late, but I'm so appreciative of it. Um, looking forward to hearing your expertise on relationships. I've actually never spoken to someone who's licensed in relationships, always get advice from friends and family. So once again, I'm looking forward to your expertise and advice on today's topic. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here. I think your format is wonderful to give people a voice to things and to topics. It's wonderful. So thank you for having me. Good. Thank you so much for coming on once again. So I always like to start the shows off with a brief introduction, kind of like giving your background so the listeners will know who you are and your credentials. So if you could start with that, that would be excellent. Okay, uh, basically, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I have been such, oh, my goodness, almost 10 years. Wow, it doesn't seem like it's been that long, about 10 years now. Um, I do have my uh, doctorate in of philosophy, in it's in human ecology, but basically it's in marriage and family therapy, and so is my master's degree. So I've been doing this a while. I feel like it is a calling for me. It's my purpose in life. I love it. And um, I'm just blessed to have the opportunity to be able to help people in the way that I am. Uh, I am currently working on a military installation here in Mississippi. My coworkers and my supervisors joke with me because any briefs that I do, any trainings that I do or talks, I always say it's the best job I've ever had. It's given me the opportunity to be exposed to a culture that I was not prior exposed to, and it's just been a wonderful experience to be immersed 
in the culture that I am. And I've learned so much working on a military installation and just what our service members have to go through as well as their family members. So it's been wonderful. I've been there about five and a half years. Prior to that, I worked in different venues such as community mental health agencies, uh, worked directly for and with a school district. So most of my background initially came from working with children, which I always look back and laugh about because I vowed in graduate school I would never work with children in therapy. Give me an adult that can tell me what's on their mind. But working (laughs) with children, I feel like, (laughs) made me a better therapist because you have to think outside the box with children. They cannot articulate as adults. Well, I know some adults that can't articulate either, but uh, children really can't. And so it it made me a better therapist to understand how to communicate with a four-year-old about his anger issues. So really have enjoyed my career thus far, and it's just been a blessing. Sounds awesome. Sounds awesome. So let me ask you this before we really get into the conversation. For, for someone who wants to be, you know, a marriage counselor or a family therapist, would you consider yourself a hopeless romantic? Because it seems kind of very, like, fuzzy, optimistic, want to work through problems. So how would you classify yourself? <laughs> I love that question. Absolutely. I'm a hopeless romantic, a very positive, focused person, or at least I try to be in everything that I do. I would say that anyone that wants to get into this field, I think you have to have a love for people, obviously, because if you don't, it's definitely not going to work. Um, I would also say you have to be mentally strong, if that makes sense, because you're dealing with a lot of things from a lot of people, and if you're the type that's very sensitive or overly sensitive to certain issues, certain things, certain topics, you will take it home with you. And you can't do that in this business. You've got to cut it off somewhere. You've got to close your office door, go home, and be in the real world, be in your life. Uh, Even now, I work very closely with the domestic violence and child abuse prevention and intervention program with my job, and it's very easy to take that stuff home. But I think I did a great job in grad school of learning not to do that, to have healthy boundaries, healthy self-care. Self-care is the main thing that anyone that wants to get into any mental health field needs to understand. The other thing I would say, the main, probably the most important thing, is if you have some issues yourself, whether that be mental health type things, whether there be some trauma from your childhood, what have you, I would say anyone that wants to break into the mental health field, you've got to deal with that. You cannot be a good therapist or counselor for someone else if you can't do it for yourself. And if you don't know your own issues, your own biases, it's not going to work. It's, it's, it, will, it will crash and burn. And your clients will be able to see through that. They definitely, clients are, are coming to you for your expertise, but they can definitely sniff out a fraud, if that makes sense. They can definitely pay attention to what's going on in that therapy room, that therapy session, and they can they know the difference and when you really care and when you really don't or when you're having your own issues that I've had so many friends that have gone to counseling will tell me, well, I had to switch counselors because this one wanted to tell me all of his or her problems. And I'm thinking I'm in the room for me, you know. So So you really have to do a lot of uh, self-reflection and making sure that this is what you want to do. Otherwise, it it, it probably is not a good career choice otherwise. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. You brought up an interesting point. Um, so yeah, I never really considered family therapists or just marriage counseling in general, you know, a part of mental health. But now you mention it, I can definitely see that both from the provider and from the patient or I guess client standpoint, how, you know, that would be challenging uh, for both, especially for the provider to be able to turn that off. But also for you as you're sitting there and you're counseling, you're guiding your, I guess, do you call them patients or do you call them clients? I don't really know how to categorize them. Yes, I call them clients and um, I think I was probably taught that in graduate school to say clients because it, it speaks to a more of a collaborative relationship versus like a doctor and a patient, you know, uh, type of scenario, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Sorry, I'm just, I'm allowing my work to kind of filter into this conversation. So oh, no, absolutely. No, that please. I'm not in work I right love, now. Absolutely. No, I love questions like this. I think it's, it's, uh, it's such a stigma, I would say, especially in the African-American community of therapy, of counseling. You're telling the stranger your business, and these questions that you're asking really helps to flesh out those myths and stereotypes, that it's really not what people think. Of course, you know, media portrays it as you laying on somebody's couch telling them your life story, which, like you so eloquently said, it's more of a relationship. It's a collaborative relationship. It's an emotional relationship. Uh, there's a lot of dynamics there that people don't realize. Yes, you are telling this stranger all of your business, quote, unquote, but there's there's an emotional uh, exchange in that relationship because because you're telling this person your business, then you're airing all of your dirty laundry in what the client hopes to be and what the therapist attempts to make sure is a safe environment. So in other words, I'm not going to run out and tell everybody your business. And I don't think people get that aspect of it, that it, right. it is a safe environment. And, and I'm a third party. I'm out of your situation so I can give you some clarity that you may not have, obviously, because you're in your crisis or your situation. So this is a perfect segue into the the meat of the conversation that I wanted to talk about. So, you know, you see yourself as a third party, but we all have these friends who don't necessarily see themselves as a third party, and they actually sometimes can become, you know, a part of the relationship. And I'm a millennial, and so, of course, I'm heavily involved in social media, whether it's IG, Twitter, or Facebook. And I've seen, you know, I've been pretty much, I could probably say I've known intimate details of people's relationships simply because they put it, they put their business on Facebook. And then they get upset about it because they're like, oh, well, everybody's in my business. But I'm like, well, you kind of put it out there. So I want you to talk about, you know, how you have seen from your, from your profession, how social media has really changed the dating dynamic and how we are interacting with each other in our relationships. Absolutely, and I think that topic is wonderful and it's so needed because I don't think people understand the the imprint of social media on relationships. It, you know, like you said, it's the way of the world now, and the world is moving forward with social media and what have you, but I, I, I do have to say, and I do want to preface this by saying I don't think social media is bad. I don't dislike, dislike Facebook, Twitter, you know, uh, some of the other dating websites, apps, and things like that. But it is, I feel, taking us away from that human connection, that relating to others. 
it also interferes a lot with, let's just start with the basics of a relationship, which are communication, which is communication. So I don't know if you know this or not, but 80 to 90% of communication is nonverbal. So that means unconsciously when you're talking to someone, no matter who it is, your spouse, your partner, a coworker, a friend, you're unconsciously paying attention to their eyes to their demeanor. I talk with my hands, so I move my hands a lot, to how I'm sitting, to the way I look, what the look that's on my face, if I'm smiling, if I'm not smiling. And, of course, in, in my background of being a mental health provider, I have to pay attention to those nonverbals anyway. I think I, it's part of our training as marriage and family therapists or counselors to pay attention to that because this client may be saying one thing, but their body language is saying something else. So you think about 80 to 90% of communication is nonverbal. If I'm sitting behind a, or in front of a computer screen, I'm not looking at that person face-to-face. I can't see what's going on. So communication right. gets so misconstrued. Text messages, messaging on Facebook, emails. I can read so much into what you're writing that you may not even mean. And I see it all the time in my job where you have serious things like domestic violence and this person might have been angry and text their spouse something in anger that may that the other person may take as a threat to their life. And then they come to us like, hey, this service member threatened to kill me. I feel like my life is in jeopardy now. And that may not have been, that might have been so far from what the person was trying to say and what they meant. So that communication piece definitely has affected the dating realm. I would also say, Social media can give a false sense of power. I highly doubt, okay, and I'll give you an example. I highly doubt that, and and let's just say I'm going to use myself for an example. An ex-boyfriend of mine would see me out with my husband in in public and come up to me and say, you know, Jamie, I I think I want to reconnect with you right now. So how about we meet up for some drinks maybe on Saturday? How's that sound to you? Right there in front of my husband. How do you doubt that would happen? Hold on, give me, give me one second. Something's going awry here. Okay. Give me one Hello, Jamie? Yes, I'm here. Yeah, okay, sorry. Yeah, something was Okay, we're back. (laughs) (laughs) No worries. So I was saying, given that example of, say, an ex-boyfriend of mine would not have the audacity to come up to me in public with my husband and say, listen, you know, I've been thinking about you lately. I'd like to take you out for uh, some coffee, and let's talk about, let's rekindle this, this friendship we had at one time. Highly doubt that would happen. But social media makes that possible. That person might be a lot bolder to reach out to me and message me privately on a social media network to do that. So, so let me that follow- that. Go, ahead. go ahead. So, okay, so you have the, the bold ex-boyfriend who's basically creeping in the DM or your inbox. So do you find that it's harmful or harmless for 
someone who's in a relationship to respond to a message from a boyfriend or just from a random stranger who's basically flirting with you? I feel that it is very damaging to do that. It's it's overstepping a bound, and and you can get you know people can argue and say well, and and I'll, and I'll say it this way. Let me say it this way. I feel like it is damaging. You're opening yourself up to a, a situation that may not be healthy for the relationship. It's going to cause some problems because let's just say I may not be over my ex-boyfriend or that person may not be over their ex or this new person may be intriguing. They may have caught me at a vulnerable moment where my my husband and I are not doing well. This stranger kind of reaches out to me and it's like, hmm, this is kind of interesting. So I think it leaves the, the door open and that door uh, does not need to be open, especially if you and you're in a committed relationship and you're committed to this one person. So I think it can be damaging. However, what I tell my clients at times, it also depends on the spouses. It depends on the persons in the relationship. I've had spouses tell me, I don't care if an ex-boyfriend reaches out to my wife or my husband. I don't care if an ex-girlfriend reaches out because I trust that person. I know that they love me, that we're committed to each other, so it doesn't matter to me. However, it's still just that that, that toe in the door. A lot of times it's all certain people need. My favorite phrase is they take an inch and go a mile with it. Hey, if you respond to me, even if it's just, hey, how you doing, oh, good, I got a toe in the door. And so then it just leaves it open to a lot of vulnerable situations that could possibly turn into something else. So I I say that it can be very damaging. However, people are going to do what they feel comfortable with doing in their relationships. Absolutely. So do you think that spouses should, or someone who's simply in a committed relationship, should they exchange passwords on social media? Should you have access to your husband's, you know, Facebook account or IG account and vice versa? Like, what are your thoughts on that as far as the, keeping the, the relationship extremely transparent? Or is that crossing the line and basically insinuating that, hey, I don't trust you? I love that question. I feel that why not? Why couldn't I have your password if I really wanted it? And where I go with that is if there's nothing going on, there shouldn't be a problem if your spouse asks for your password or, hey, I just want to check your your phone or check your emails or what have you. On the other side of that, though, if your spouse needs that for whatever reason, hey, I need, I want to check your Facebook, I want to check your inbox or what have you, There's a problem. There's a problem. I always tell clients, all of us, every human being on this earth has an instinct. Some people may be a little numb. Some people may be overheightened, but everybody has an instinct. And if if your instinct is telling you in this relationship something's off and I need to check on this person, something's wrong. There's a deeper issue there. Um, There are some spouses or some couples agree. What well, there's a trust issue somewhere. Sometimes that could be the person that needs that validation to know that nothing's going on. It could be a lot of things. In my profession, I've seen where that person has had multiple relationships where there's been infidelity and they haven't emptied that, that emotional baggage. 
So, therefore, they kind of take it into the next relationship where, hey, all five of my exes cheated on me, so I'm bringing that to you to say, hey, I need to, have, I need to know what you're doing on Facebook. I need to know who you're talking to and what the conversation is about because of that lack of trust. So it could come from that person from another source, or it could be they're sensing a distance in the relationship, something is not the same as it was, and I need to check into what's going on because I have a feeling that your attention is going somewhere else. It's not on me, so where is your attention going? So do you feel like it's okay to snoop if your gut instincts are telling you, uh, that something's wrong or there's another person involved in my relationship. Because, you know, grandmothers are just the old adage, you know, they say that, you know, if you look hard enough for something, you, you're going to find it. You may not like what you find. So would you suggest that you kind of ignore your gut instincts until, you know, it becomes too much to handle or you just start, you know, digging through your spouse's phone or, you know, going through their Facebook account if you can get the password or whatever it is you need to do to satisfy, you know, that urge to uh, find a comfort zone in your relationship so that you can maybe keep the trust going. I don't know. Absolutely. And that's a great question. And I, I would have to say that talk to your per- your spouse, your partner about that. Like the communication level should be as such that I can come to you and say, listen, I'm having some, some feelings. I'm having some, I'm not feeling good right now about us. Let's sit down and talk about that. So no, I, I, I don't, condone snooping because I feel like that brings other issues into play of the spouse hiding it even more if they feel, you know, if they are up to something, if that makes sense. I think there should be a level of honesty anyway in any relationship. And if you don't have that, then to be honest, you really don't have a a healthy, solid relationship if I can't come to you and say, this is how I'm feeling right now. I'm feeling like your time is somewhere else. You may not be seeing someone else, but I'm. there's something missing for me. So, again, getting to the core of what that feeling is. It may not be that this person is cheating on you or even talking to someone else, but you know and there's a feeling that instinct is telling you that there's something off about the relationship. So I encourage talking about that, being upfront about it. Now, of course, you have situations where that spouse may not be honest. That's where there's a problem. In other words, there was a problem before that feeling came, if that makes sense. I should be able to openly talk with you and about what's going on with me and how I feel about our relationship. And if you feel the need to lie to me, then something else is going on that is more of a core issue than your time not being with me. So at what point do you feel like couples should professional counseling as opposed to seeking advice from friends because I, you know, I have some married friends and of course I have single friends and I don't know. I just feel odd giving my married friends advice because I don't really have experience in a marriage. So should married people take advice from single people? I love that question. (laughs) That's a very good question. Everybody's different. Um, The way I look at it as, and I've I've said this to close family and friends, that 
And this is not to be ugly or negative about single people whatsoever because there are single people that have been in committed relationships that are very insightful about things. But I would say you have to be careful about that. And, and your, you know, Dr. Say, your, your instinct of feeling uncomfortable giving that advice is spot on simply because, like you said, how am I going to give you advice about your marriage when that's not an experience I've had. Now, going to a counselor, you know, and some people say that about counselors. I want to side note for a second. Some people say that about counselors. If my marriage counselor has never been married, how can he or she give me advice? That's a little bit different. They've been trained to look for certain things, know what to say, you know, that kind of thing. But as far as from a friend to a friend, I agree with you simply because there's a whole nother dynamic, a whole nother experience that single people don't have the background on or the foundation on to give advice to a married person. And that doesn't mean they can't say, hey, listen, it sounds to me like you all may need some counseling or sounds like that really hurt your feelings. You know, you could give some basic things, but as far as giving that flat-out advice, I agree. You just have to kind of be careful when it comes to single people. It's almost like this. I did an internship one time within the mm-hmm. alcohol and substance abuse realm. I immediately knew that was not my population of choice. Uh, I would not be good as an alcohol and drug counselor. One, the main reason, I've never experienced it. I, I don't know what being an addict is like, and that's so important to that particular part of my profession of mental health. Plus, I'm gullible. If you tell me, hey, guess what, Dr. Williams, I stopped using drugs yesterday. What? Really? Did you? I'm so excited. You know, I'm gullible. I'm too trustworthy, and I would trust that person. And, of course, mm-hmm. you know, addicts sometimes have that revolving door. So all that to say, if I haven't walked in your shoes, then I have to be careful about giving you advice about something I don't know about. And what you mentioned something earlier about, you know, there are certain aspects or dynamics of a marriage that single people don't recognize, but that you're, you are trained to recognize. Can you expound on that? Sure. For instance, some of the things that, that we, you know, along with in graduate school, with the mental health professions, of course you have the background of different theories that you can pull from to help this person find a solution to their marital issues. But the other piece of that is there's an emotional connection there. There is the intimacy. Intimacy is a huge piece of that. I am with this person or connected to this person, I should say, 24 hours a day, whether I'm with that person all day, meaning my spouse or my partner, or whether I'm connected to them through phone. You know, this person has something about me. This person knows something about me that no, nobody else knows and hopefully would keep my secrets, if you will, or my, my indiscretions, my insecurities to themselves. It's between us. We have that connection that I trust you enough to have married you and be part of your life. And so that marital realm just brings a whole nother connection to it because a single person, let's just be honest, can walk out of a relationship whenever they feel like it. I can't do that with my husband. We have a whole lot of paperwork and money to give the lawyers to get out of this situation. We are legally bound 
not only legally, we're also everything is tied up in this person. My finances, my my hopes and dreams with this person. We're sharing a home together. We're sharing finances, and I know what your paycheck says. You know what mine says, and that that may not necessarily be a boundary that has to not be there in a single person's relationship. They don't necessarily have to know what their boyfriend makes every day, but as as a married person, if I'm paying the bills, I kind of need to know what, what, how much to pay, so forth and so on, so different things like that. So there's, there's that dynamic to it. And for a mental health provider, there's a sense of understanding the, mm-hmm. the emotional vulnerability that may be with this particular person or what, what's going to be healthy, what a healthy relationship looks like. In that realm of being married. What does a healthy relationship look like? Because some people think like, well, you know, if he's not arguing with me, then he doesn't love me. Or if he's not, you know, exhibiting or vice versa, it could be a female. If they're not exhibiting jealousy traits or features, then obviously they don't love me or care enough. Or some women think like, you know, if he doesn't smack me around or be rough with me, then obviously he's not invested. And, you know, everyone's different. Everyone has different values. But what is your idea of a healthy relationship that has long-term potential? Excellent question. And you are right. There are some people that feel if this person is not jealous or if they're not physically hurting me in some way that they don't care. And that's quite the contrary, and I cannot express that enough. Like I said, I work in the realm of domestic violence. That is not a way of showing love is to put their hands on you. So let me just make that clear. A healthy relationship has a many dynamics, but I would say the basis, the foundation of any relationship, definitely, I know it may sound like a cliche, but it's the truth, is that sense of honesty, that open communication. I would say I would say any healthy relationship has to have a friendship quality to it. In other words, I have to genuinely like this person. I have to genuinely enjoy your company, or otherwise I should look at you as my best friend. Now, let me side note and say that there's a difference between looking at this person as my best friend and codependency. There's a whole different realm there of you are my be-all, end-all. I can't live or breathe without you. That's codependency. That's not what I mean. I mean I respect you, I have trust in you, and you are my best friend. You know me better than anybody else in this world, best friend type of quality. And so that, like I said, that open communication, that trust, I would also have to emphasize the need for that emotional vulnerability. So many times the couples that I've worked with don't feel like they can be vulnerable with their spouse or partner. If you, can, if you don't have that element in addition to the other things, you have to be able to be emotionally naked with this other person, meaning... I like that term. I'm going to have to start coining that, emotionally naked. <laughs> okay. Yes, emotionally naked. You have to have that in your relationship. Otherwise, the rest of it's not going to come. The trust, the friendship-like quality, the communication is not going to be there if you cannot be emotionally naked in front of your spouse. That means everything is out. You know, a lot of times, and this this may sound very basic, but a lot of people don't know this, 
Anger is a surface-level emotion. So if you can imagine an iceberg, you know, usually you can only see the upper tip of that iceberg. But underneath the water is a whole bunch of other things. That's what anger is like. Anger is at the top. That's what a lot of people use to express certain things. Underneath that anger, though, you have a lack of vulnerability, you have insecurity, you have jealousy, you have embarrassment, you have a lot of things that are going on, sadness, depression. There's a lot of things that people use anger to mask with. So that's what I mean, that if you say something that hurts my feelings to my core, that I'm able to cry about that. I've had couples that couldn't even cry in front of each other. They could not cry and say, that really hurt my feelings. So what they do is emotionally shut down and just say, you know what, I won't talk about this anymore, never bring it up again, and that just causes those what could be scratches to turn into wounds that are infected. And so by the time they get to me, they have a 1,000 Band-Aids on top of this open wound, and it's not getting any better from simply not being able to be vulnerable. I'll give you a quick example. Some years back, I had a couple, a husband and wife, and the wife would get so angry in therapy with us, with me and the husband would just be just as calm, and and that's how he expressed his anger, though I will note that, is to to remain calm because he knew it pushed her buttons. But she would get so angry to run out of my office, shout and scream at him, get up and leave, and and just have a fit almost. I mean, so much so that my coworkers would come knock on my door like, Jamie, is everything okay in here? <laughs> That's how loud she would be. I, and I'm going to get to that. It, it, it does turn out to have a wonderful ending. So one of the times that she got up and left, really upset, angry, all the above, when she came back in, it dawned on me. And I looked at her and I said, you know, I think I've been getting this all wrong. I said, your anger is because you're scared. I said, and I always tell my clients, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're scared. Dr. Faye, when I say that turns the whole scenario around, she boohooed and said, yes, I am scared that this, this is our second time in counseling. I'm scared this is not going to work. I'm scared that he, they have been married maybe eight, nine years. She said, I'm scared that this is not going to work and that I'm going to do all of this and be vulnerable for nothing, that he's still, that he's not going to, you know, participate in therapy, that we're not going to get anywhere. And just her being emotionally vulnerable to that point in front of her husband and once again in a safe environment, it turned the whole scenario around to the point that they were planning, the last time I had contact with them, they were planning to renew their vows. Oh, well, that's nice. That's a I guess people feel you, you are afraid and to, to be vulnerable and to basically relinquish control to another human being is indeed frightening. Because like Absolutely. they're that's a happy ending, but then you have people when regardless of the fact he's probably or she's probably checked out of the relationship anyway, and you've invested so much time and you become vulnerable, and then it does blow up in your face, and then they can sense it, and people can prey on that. So I think there's a it's kind of like a yo-yo effect, but you know I guess love is you have to risk it if that's what you're seeking, and it, sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. It's but I would agree that that is very frightening. And I personally have a problem with that. 
and maybe I am, I don't know, maybe since you brought up, maybe I am afraid of being vulnerable, but I don't know. I like to be in control of my emotions at all times. I like to control at least that aspect of the relationship. And I think it's more so just building up a wall for that what if. And I think that's a problem going into most relationships if you cannot be vulnerable with that person who you intend to spend the rest of your life with, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. That makes complete sense, and that's exactly what I see a lot with working with the couples that I have been fortunate enough to work with is they have that wall up. And so when they come to me, I do it in a very gentle and safe way, if you will, to help them let that wall back down. Because a lot of times what I've seen is that couples typically don't walk into that dating relationship with their wall up. Some do. Some do just because of their past and different things that might have happened to them as adults and as children. But a lot of times they, they kind of walk into it being vulnerable, but something may happen into, in that marital relationship that causes that wall to go up. And that's when, I, that's when I see them. That's when they grace my door to say something's wrong, something's off. And so, but I, I definitely agree with you that um, a lot of people do put a wall up. They do. So and what that, that can cause a huge problems. Should you should you seek professional counseling? Because I feel like sometimes, you know, you let things fester and they boil over to the point where there's a lack of respect in a the relationship, there's a lack of trust. So should you tackle that early on and, you know, just deal with the fact that, hey, it might be a stigma and that we need professional help to get through this? Like, I don't know. I feel like there's no right or wrong answer. It's not black or white. It's completely gray. But in all your years of expertise and experience, would you recommend to say, hey, you know, we're starting to have issues early on in the relationship. We should probably nip this in the bud now before it becomes, it blows out of proportion and, you know, it ultimately ends our marriage or ends our relationship. And that's a great question, and you're right. It is a very great area. I think it depends on the the people in the relationship, and it depends on. Let me tell you what I think the main factor is. What it, it of what of the timing of it when you're ready. You may recognize problems in your relationship or in your marriage. However, you may not be ready to confront it for whatever reason. May it could it be it could be. I don't want to know what this other person's really thinking. I don't want to know that she doesn't want to be married to me anymore or that he doesn't want to be married to me anymore. This person could be thinking about divorce, and I don't want that, so I'd rather not talk about it. I've seen that a lot. So I would say to gauge when to come to therapy or to seek professional help is when you're ready to address the issues. The other problem with that, though, is one spouse may be ready, the other spouse may not be. So it just kind of depends on that dynamic, and it also depends on the commitment to the relationship. Like you said said, uh, earlier, there's some people that have already checked out. They just don't know how to say, hey, I'm ready to move on. I don't want to be in this relationship anymore. So they've checked out already. And that other person may sense that and not want that to come to fruition. So we'd rather just sit here and not say anything to each other, not, you know, not address that pink elephant, this huge pink elephant in the room, because we don't want to face the inevitable. So I think it just kind of depends on your commitment to the relationship and whether you're ready or not to really face those issues. Let me let me say that being vulnerable in a relationship, you have that same type of vulnerability, if you will, in a therapeutic relationship. And so 
it can be difficult to talk about some of these issues, especially intimate issues, with this person, this total stranger that may not even care about me. You know, you t- you're taking a chance with that, definitely. Right. But, um, of course, I'm going to put a shameless plug in for <laughs> the mental health field and just how helpful and wonderful it can be if you have the right therapist. I look at it as therapists sometimes are like a pair of shoes. Sometimes you have to try on more than one pair to say, you know what, this is the perfect fit for me. This is the this person is a great fit for who I am as a person and what I need right now. Excellent. So I just want to um, shift gears just a little bit, and this will be my last line of questioning. So what what are your thoughts, and you don't have to answer this if it violates any ethical principles of being a family or marriage counselor, like what are your thoughts on people who are serial daters, who you're on social media, and you're like, dang, you, you, you got a new boyfriend or a new girlfriend again? And this is like the fifth relationship. <laughs> The fifth relationship that you're like, that's bae. Ooh, I love them. My man crush Monday. My woman crush Wednesday. And I'm like, oh, I, what happened to the last two or three people? Yeah. So what are your thoughts on, you know, just putting that out there on Facebook? Should you just be like low-key chill until you're in a committed relationship? Or just, hey, let the world know I'm a serial dater? That's a good question. First of all, I'm just not a fan of putting all your business on social media anyway. So, I mean, I don't think people need to know that you have a new boyfriend or a new girlfriend every day. But I will say my thoughts on serial daters from a therapeutic perspective, I understand that there's some people in the world that say, hey, I just want to experience life. I don't want to be tied down to one person. Or I feel like I need to try these different varieties of this candy box to see which one I really like. For me, I would say that if that goes, let me say it this way, okay, this this is the perfect way to say it, to not offend anyone, if, if you will. I would say someone that does that chronically, there's an issue meaning an issue with some boundaries, an issue with some personal things, meaning you're running from something, you're not wanting to face something in your life, something that happened to you, an experience, you don't want to be hurt again because your ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend really, or ex-husband, ex-wife really crushed you, so you don't want to open yourself up to that again. So I'm just going to have fun and hop around. Like I said, there's nothing wrong with, talking to different people, getting different perspectives, kind of learning who you are as a person through, hey, I know I don't like this uh, characteristic. I know I don't like this characteristic. I do like this characteristic. But when that becomes a chronic problem, and I think sometimes an age factor comes into that, if you're 45 and you're still serial dating, okay, let's, <laughs> let's explore what else may be going on here. Now, granted, if that 45-year-old is divorced and just got divorced last year, okay, and they were married for 20 years, got it. But if you're 45, never been married, and you're still serial dating, okay, there may be some, some issues there that you may need to work is, on. Is that your cutoff, thing. Is that the cutoff for <laughs> <you have? laughs> I'm just saying, you know, as, you, as you, you get older in age, you mature, you have experiences, you have life experiences under your belt. So what's the problem? And some people, there are people in the world that feel like, you know what, 
I don't feel like I'm the type of person to be married. And that's great. But the hopping around can, and I, I say that jokingly, but honestly, if the, if the hopping around continues on a chronic basis, then there could be another issue there that may be worth tapping into. And that was such a nice, euphemistic way of saying hopping around. I'm going to have to incorporate that. <laughs> <laughs> That's saying that with much sarcasm, much sarcasm. But thank you so much for coming on to the show. I really appreciate it. We had a great oh, conversation. And I look forward to part two to all of my listeners. We're going to be talking about surviving infidelity. So I'm looking forward to that. It's going to air at the same time, 9 p.m. Central on December 8th, which is next Thursday. So, of course, looking forward to that. So, um, Jamie, can you tell the listeners out there, you know, where they can find you? Do you have a Twitter handle? Are you on Facebook? Do you have a business page? Like, for couples who want to seek out professional advice, like, where, where can we find you? That's a great question. I'm so old school, Dr. Say I do not have social media accounts whatsoever except LinkedIn. <laughs> so um, I do have uh, an email address, and I will add this to uh, Dr. Fan. I'm glad that you brought that up, that my if someone reached out to me and was asking some advice on counseling or asking an advice about their relationship, I have to be careful with that simply because of ethical issues, different things that come into play with that. I'm very particular about that, as I should be, as anybody, any mental health person, especially marriage or family therapist will tell you, we have to be careful about that. So definitely reach out to me and I can you know, get you to some resources and and help you out with some things, maybe give you some basic responses. But as a whole, I can't do therapy on, you know, by by email, if that makes sense. And I know some people would see that as an opportunity to, well, hey, let me just throw this question at you and tell me their whole life on an email. So I just wanted to, to point that out. But my email address is jlw1920 at gmail.com. So you heard that, people. It's JLW1920 at gmail.com. She's an excellent family therapist. So if you guys are having any issues or just need to vent or you want to move your relationship forward, please look up Miss Jamie Williams. I highly recommend her. She is excellent. So, Miss Williams, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Yes, I thank you. I loved it. It was wonderful. Wonderful. I could talk about this all day. It truly is my passion. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Developers, 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 developers.